First of all, I'd like to introduce Kat Moore, my guest on today's episode of Wake Up. And Kat has a fascinating position, which I'll get to in a minute. And in fact, it's so profound to me because it's an active physical action that she's taken personally to help youths struggling with mental health. It's an actual thing that she's created herself to help kids, college students who might be struggling with mental health or just to improve their mental health. I want you to tell everybody about uh, belonging at USC and how that came about. Just your whole origin story. I find it absolutely fascinating and impressive. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for opening up this space to even continue the conversation talking about these things, because that's really where all the work starts, right? Is having ongoing spaces where we can unpack all of these themes and, and um, obstacles together. So thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So right now I'm unbelievably the director of belonging at the University of Southern California. Um, to our knowledge, that's the first role of its kind um, in higher ed. And I was invited back to USC. I'm an alumni. So I graduated very many years ago uh, with a degree in philosophy. And oh, that's my degree. Well, here we go. Um, with a degree in philosophy and zero friends. Um, and so I had a very difficult experience myself all growing up um, through college with what seemed so easy and normal for everyone I was looking at. Um, you just go to college and you just make friends, right? You've got kids from all over the world. You've got parties. You've got involvement fairs. And it just was not intuitive to me. And I had a really high level of social anxiety, introversion, you name it. I, I struggled with it. Um and, uh, you know, so it's absolutely wild to me um, how redemptive it is to be in this role now, helping students find meaningful friendships and community and, and connections, not just in college, but as a way of being in the world for the rest of their lives, right? You're going to need um, these social skills um, and capacities even more after college. Uh, adult friendship is um, even harder after college than uh, during it for various reasons. So yeah, my, my role um, began four years ago. Basically, they found me in the coffee shops of Northeast Los Angeles, creating grassroots community out of coffee shops, um, starting with a, a puny little Starbucks in a strip mall in Atwater Village. And they said, hey, whatever you're doing here to create community with people from every walk of life, um, can you kind of export th that skill set, whatever it is you're doing, onto a college campus? Well, hold on. What what was it you were doing? Yeah, well, that's the question, right? How do you how do you actually in a place even like Los Angeles, which is known as being kind of a social wasteland, very difficult to make friends and community here for a variety of reasons? Like, what are you actually doing? So what I was actually doing, I had to actually think backwards about what had organically happened because I didn't go into the Starbucks with an agenda to make community. I actually had to do it because I became a single mom and I needed a community in order to survive. So it organically happened for me. So I had to think retroactively and be like, what was I doing? 
what were we all doing? And so from that, I developed this acronym because humans need acronyms in order to remember, you know, these invisible dynamics. And so I came up with CLICK. And that stands for what do we do to, to, you know, do this organically? We connect as we are, where we are. We listen. We investigate without judgment. We communicate kindness and we keep in touch. And that was what was happening every single day in the coffee shops, no matter who was sitting across from me at the table. We were able to be real. We were able to slow down and listen to each other, ask questions, care about each other and do that repetitively. Um, and so that's what I brought in. That sort of skill set is what I brought in to USC. But were you doing that consciously or is it an accidental thing? It, I did. I, it was um, completely imp imp improvisational, um, but then it becomes a habit of being. And so you're just, you know, you you um, start to get better at reading people's body language. You start to get better at showing up yourself in the interaction. And so it builds over time. But no, I did not consciously know what I was doing. I mean, I had 25 years of having no idea how to connect with anyone. So it all happened um, and was facilitated by becoming a mom, you know, because everyone wants to approach you once you have a baby. It's one of nature's universal conversation bridges. And so people started breaking the ice with me. Um, oh, how old's your baby? You know, you know, all of this. And um, I learned very slowly, actually, how to do this um, because of the deficit I was coming in with. So it just sort of happened organically at that Starbucks. And then you would go there every day and have a community of people. Usually yeah. when people have babies, they go and like get the mommy group or at the playground. What made you do it at Starbucks? Just because you would go to Starbucks for coffee anyway? I mean, that became, I mean, one of the problems with loneliness now in the U.S., um, and this has been coming on for 25, 30 years, really, is the disappearance of third spaces. Third spaces are public spaces. Um, that in most cultures that, you know, in France, it's the cafes, in Germany, it's pubs, it's, it, it could be um, piazzas, you know, th there's always public gathering spaces, parks, those have really disappeared. And so coffee shops are one of the last um, third spaces. And so I liked being in them just to be in the flow of human life, even though I couldn't interact with anyone. And I'm a reader and a writer and an artist. And so, you know, that vibe um, fit with who I was. But then also when I became a mom, it became a big priority for me, for my son to be around people from all kinds of different backgrounds, different ages and coffee shops, libraries too, but libraries don't really encourage conversation. They all tell you to be quiet, right? So coffee shops became a place where I could kind of dunk tank my son um, into a really wide variety of human life that you don't necessarily get in a mommy and me group. And so that started. And then was it a conscious thing? Like when USC found you, you were doing this as a sort of conscious community building uh, endeavor? Yeah. You know, the moment it became like more than just, I want to do this because it benefits my own life and the, the my neighbors, um, was when I became a single mom. So a divorce happened that was very traumatic. And I then was in a position of needing to support myself and my son. And so that's when I was like, oh, I'm going to have to professionalize this because it was my calling at that point. But there was no way to monetize it. There was no career path for this, right? You could go be a therapist, but then that's a therapeutic relationship, 
right? There was nothing out there in terms of a, 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 an easy way to monetize this sort of thing. So I had to profess, start professionalizing it in my mind. And I started, you know, trying to do the nonprofit route and get grants. Um, I tried to work with religious communities for them to see this as a, as a form of caring for their communities. Um, but it was an extreme uphill battle. No one got it. They all thought it was amazing and cool and so valuable, but it was squarely in the category of volunteer work. And that is part of the problem and why the problem is so bad is because we don't actually value this work. If we did, we wouldn't be in this position. Yeah, maybe if we valued it, we wouldn't have such a severe mental health crisis. Right. A lot of the people that were talking to me about their life at the coffee shop are never going to go to a therapist. No. But but it was a huge um, uh, release valve to be able to have someone for three minutes while your coffee brewed to actually just sit there and give a crap about you. What that ended up doing for people, the number one thing they'd say getting up from my table just every single day, Kat, thank you so much for listening. Not, hey, Kat, thanks for solving all my problems. Hey, Kat, thanks for psychoanalyzing me. It, it was, and we say just listening, but really that's the major piece that's missing. So you were just doing this voluntarily? Yes. And did you have a name for it? Did you did you call it Click already? Or No, I did not figure out cl Click was what was happening until I went to USC and they asked me to make a class. So how did that come about? You say you were in the cafe and tell me how the USC thing happened. Yeah, I joke that like every single person I know or every job I have somehow can be traced back to Starbucks. And in that Starbucks neighborhood, um, there was a professor of classics, actually, who lived around the corner, who I discovered was at USC in that um, capacity. And he had an event. And trying to be supportive of him, I went back to campus and went to his event. And after that event, I met someone who turned out to be one of the deans of the Office of Religious and Spiritual Life, who was himself a community organizer. And he said, hey, Kat, I'm fascinated by what you're doing in the coffee shops. He was thinking of it in terms of how to re-engage a civic capacity in people, a voter base, because when people feel connected to their community, they're more likely to vote. So he and a team came to my coffee shop and like kind of were observing what we were doing and what was happening. And it was shortly after that, that, that he then invited me to USC because of a string of student suicides and office of religious and spiritual life at that point, And really still is one of the key departments that ends up with the fallout of loneliness. Uh, you go to chaplains, you don't just go to the counseling center. You often go to chaplains, um, to talk about your inner life and your your deep experience. And so they were shouldering so much fallout of mental health issues that they were all realizing were tied to loneliness. Mm -hmm. But they're like, we don't know how to respond to that. We're not organized to have some kind of joint effort to respond to something like loneliness. And they knew they couldn't just shoot everyone to the counseling center. So that's when they invited me in to try to innovate some responses from a grassroots level for how to start to approach a, a student body of 40,000 kids mm -hmm. from all over the world, mm -hmm. all different backgrounds, all different mm -hmm. personalities um, to see what we could do about this. Before I, I want to hear about it because I, I find it fascinating, but getting back really quickly to the Starbucks thing. So you were doing it just to connect and then it started to be a, a habit. And then how did it become like 
the endeavor, you went around to different cafes and like, did you, were you trying to do it as a job or just a volunteering? Like explain to me. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, we, we generally separate out the idea of like mission and vocation and calling from job and career. And I, if I would have been independently wealthy, or if I would have still been married and had a partner who could support me, I would have just continued to do this as a like vocational kind of thing for the rest of my life. But because I was forced to then have a way to support myself, I had to start thinking about it differently. And so I was doing the same stuff. What I did didn't change, but I had to also start kind of getting meta about it and figuring out how do I explain to potential donors? How do I explain to potential clients what I'm doing and the value of it so that they can understand why this should be funded? So were the cafes clients? Did you go in there? And- None of the no. cafes were clients. I mean, the most they would do is they knew that I was bringing in business and right. repeat business, right? Because I was right. changing the vibe of their cafes right. um, to be homes for people, not just places to refuel on caffeine. But um, at most, they would give me free coffee. That often also didn't happen, though. So what would more happen is there would be like para-organizations, like community organization uh, organizations, nonprofit spiritual groups, people who had a stake in caring for the populations. Um, and they would basically fund me to do that. Oh, wow. um, okay. And I would just sort of report back to them like, hey, these are the amazing things that are happening. These are the ideas that are being generated. Um, And so it worked like that for a while. But the people themselves that I was talking to, none of them were paying me either. Right, right. You were being paid by groups in the community to help support. So so you were at that stage. Then you go to USC. There's a 40,000 student body. There's a high rate of suicide. That's true at all the colleges. Tell me what your steps were that you, to build this program. (laughs) kind of hysterical, really. Um, Because no one knew what to do, I basically was given a blank check, not with funding, but with ideating and piloting things. And so this is very rare within any institutional setting, especially higher ed. Everyone wants you to have 50 years of research and like all this, like, but it's like when you pair having like a life and death situation with like no real answers, people start to get real liberal with what they'll let you try. And so I knew that I needed more information uh, about who these people were. Like I never knew what to say to someone in the coffee shop until they told me what they were experiencing. So I kind of went on um, a bit of a listening tour, both I would, you know, ask the staff, ask faculty, ask students, what are you experiencing? What's your social experience? How's it been getting connected? How's this different from high school? All of that stuff to just learn more about what people were experiencing. And what I realized is that everybody's experience was unique. So there was not going to be a way to have some kind of outside in cookie cutter approach, like three steps to ending loneliness now, like that had to all get thrown out of the window. And so I realized ultimately what was going to need to happen is that students themselves were going to need to feel agency to care for each other, that there was going to be no way that the university was going to hire 500 people like me to be peppered throughout the whole, right? That wasn't going to happen. 
they couldn't even bring me on full time. So you have less than one person to meet these sorts of needs that are inherently only met through one-on-one -on -one interactions that take time, that take emotional energy. And so I knew that there was off the bat going to need to be a, a second tier way to empower student leaders, so to speak, to be a belonging presence, a Wi-Fi hotspot of belonging for their peers. So I knew that was going to have to happen. But the first step was um, really trying to unearth more of what the students' experiences were as a first way to say this is a valuable conversation. Your social experience matters more than almost any other dimension of well-being for your success. So that's how I decided to set up Click as a, as a non-credit class. I needed to gather cohorts of students to start giving them an opportunity to share their stories with each other and see what kinds of obstacles and ideas emerged. So that, that's what we did. And I ran that um, five-week non-credit course, multiple, probably eight different semesters, a couple times per semester, including through COVID when it went online. And from that, um, that's where all the other ideas um, and strategy emerged. And and what were their, was their job to go out and do this? Was that part of the class? No, it wasn't. That became a second course that I created called Spark that was particularly for student leaders who wanted, who had ideas of their own of like, hey, if I can do X, Y, or Z in my student group, if I can do this in my dorms, if I can do that, you know, as a TA in my classes, but Kat, tell me how, or these are my ideas, which one of these sound good? So that became, because what I realized is that th there were people who were coming to click in two main categories. One, students who were experiencing a lot of loneliness and trying to figure out how to get connected. The other group were people who were like, no, I'm super connected and I want to know how to help my, my peers. Those were two very different groups. And I could actually turn them towards each other in click. But what I realized is that there really was a need for a second kind of experience targeted at peers who did want to build this out for their peers or, and or through their professional and academic studies. I, I get a lot of students coming um, asking, you know, I'm doing this project around mental health or social well-being, and they want to dialogue with me about about their projects, about their careers, where this intersects. So what does the program look like now? So I actually um, tabled Click at USC for a variety of reasons. It's still there, but what I decided is I, I figured out how to make it work, but it was only ever helping up to 30 people at a time. And so my goal is to have the content pieces of Click become recorded so that whoever wants to participate in it can. I needed to free my time up to be able to start helping at a more like exponential level um, of the university. So I have Click as a licensable <laughs> curriculum that I just adapted with MIT. Actually, they're now running it and they're running it. I basically, they have their own facilitators who are going to run it and they're running it for credit as part of their they, their well-being courses are um, required, which is actually a very important strategy for universities to require uh, yeah. these courses. Yeah. So it's available for license at this point, but I needed to, to move on um, to helping with different kinds of strategy. So what would you 
say your goal would be with Click, like to have it be part of every college curriculum or like what would be your goal if you could design all the college campuses or redesign? Yeah, I think it would um, actually what I would want to do is I would want to like have Click and Spark be offered as a pair um, because I think it's extremely important to have both available and, you know, it really depends on how institutions are structured and what their personnel is. But I think ultimately you need to have at least one staff person and at least one student co-running these experiences. And they each college would be deciding we want to run this as as part of this department or this program. But it's a it's a self-contained unit that's very adaptable. So yeah, I don't, I don't know why any university wouldn't be making this kind of upstream investment because the earlier you get ahead of this, it's inevitable that your students are going to, going to feel this. There is no more brochures or programming that you're going to do that is going to prevent this. It's coming, it's happening. You have to have some kind of um, front end positive response. Um, You can't just be waiting to send people to crisis intervention. So, yeah, I think um, the more it can, the vision can be for student leaders themselves to be stewarding it. That's the best, but you have to have a starting point. And I think that this would be great. It could be housed within student affairs, it could be housed within counseling. There's a number of verticals that it could be housed in. Yeah, and and they should be mm -hmm. doing it. You know? Yeah, there's really no, there's no, to me, I get, getting, I get very passionate about this. There, there's no excuse. The, look at what people are already spending on the fallout. Make a tiny reinvestment in doing something proactive and you'll already save yourself money if finances are the issue. What does Spark look like? Like when you take a class called Spark, do you go out to a cafe on campus and like talk to kids? Like, tell me what what a campus with this humming along, what that campus looks like. Yeah. So Spark is more set up. um, That's set up as a design lab. So it's like a human centered design kind of process where you, you ideate, you know, here's something I want to do for my friends. It could be at any scale, you know, just within my house, uh, housemate community or student group or the whole campus. So it's up to the student, individual student to decide what kind of response they want to make to make their campus more friendly, more um, to create more of a sense of belonging. Oh, for they their get peers. to decide what they want to do. The so give me an exa- couple examples of what kids are doing. Yeah. So one of my students in Spark came in. He was already a student leader in multiple groups, um, Hindu, Hindu Student Association, something for his marketing major. He was in a leadership role and his job was to create a sense of community within his club. And so he would come to Spark and I would do leadership coaching with him around, hey, you've already got these events planned, these gatherings planned. Here are some activities. Here are some strategies that you can build in to facilitate meaningful connection. He'd go and do those things, come back the next week. We'd talk about how it went and we'd iterate. So that's one version. Like what were the strategies? So what were they specifically? So, for example, one of the retreats that he was leading, we talked about, you know, thinking about the different kinds of ways that people interact on retreats. So have a a way for people to interact in nature. So go do a journaling 
um, activity as you go on a hike and have people share their experiences. Have an, another thing that's built around a family dinner style sharing. Have another thing that that helps people share their whole story um, of why they're there and how they came to USC and these sorts of things. So a lot of you know relationship building kind of tactics, but getting embedded in what they're already doing. And so then they're testing these things out live and then coming back with feedback. Hey, cat, it went great. Hey, cat, that bombed. Hey, half the kids um, were super into it, half weren't. And then we're iterating. So that that's one example. Um, and I think that that's, if I could only do one thing at college campuses, it would be gathering those students to better equip them in the roles that are already in. I think you get the most mileage that way. What about reaching those kids who are stuck in their loneliness and aren't necessarily going to sign up for a retreat or a group? Yeah. So the thing is, some of the people we were most hoping to help with Click, we quickly realized are never going to come to a class like this. And so I think the strategies are more indirect for people who are really stuck and not able to say yes to some of the more obvious opportunities One is that you help the people who aren't stuck, their peers, be alert to what loneliness looks like. Learn to ask their roommates who maybe they think are fine, no, really, how are you doing? So you have to really get to the people who are already associated with those people. Now, that includes professors. So training professors um, who are into it, a lot of them don't think that this is their responsibility and aren't interested. But for those who are, how to help them create a classroom where students are free to share how they're really doing. For TAs to be able to set up discussion sections to be able to assess that. Um, So getting to students where they're already putting their bodies is the most helpful thing. Also equipping parents to know how to ask questions about their students' social health and not just be like, have you gone to any groups yet? How many clubs are you a part of? Because a lot of these kids are part of those groups and they still feel lonely. So there's, I think that there's resources that need to be developed for the people who are already in connection with those people who can't say yes on their own. Right. Like fundamentally training a few really outgoing kids to to reach out and connect with those kids that can't, like you were describing yourself as having social anxiety and that you were an introvert. So you'd want to find those, those, those outgoing kids to reach out, right. And make an effort. Is that what you were doing? Obviously that was part of it. Yeah. Well, and that's what, that's the only thing that saved me from, from being, uh, having a completely devastating college experience is there was someone who we can just call them super connectors who like almost made it their mission in life to make sure no one was excluded. So there was a super connector who saw me in the cafeteria eating by myself every single day. And he like couldn't handle it. And so he he came up to me and was like, you're coming up to the fourth floor with me to meet some other nice people. I'm not letting you eat alone one more day. That's what I needed. Wow. And how did and that work it, out? It changed my life. It completely changed my life. Um, and I'm still in contact with that guy. He's still doing that all over the world now <laughs> um, wow. for people. So it's, it's very, very powerful. Um, and then there's other things that like design-wise with the actual environment that campuses could be doing that are very simple, very cost-effective. Like in cafeterias, we partnered with the hospitality to set up 
a community table within each cafeteria, just demarcate it with balloons or with whatever. And that's where you specifically go if you want to make a new friend or if you want to make someone's day and you table your devices. There's a basket to put your phones in and there's question prompts on the table if you want them. But it's, you know, just nudging people towards pro-social behaviors in spaces that they're already in where that should be happening. It's just giving permission and rewarding it, really. Did you do that at USC? So we designed that at USC actually with one of my students from Click, who was a grad student in social psychology, and one of his professors, who's one of the uh, nation's experts on habit formation. So we're trying to create a, a pilot project that would nudge the habit of connecting in public, right, while you're eating, Um and so we designed that. It was ready to launch in three different cafeterias, and then COVID happened. Oh, wow. And in my opinion, we're still actually not ready to do that yet. People are still refinding their socializing feet in public spaces. Yeah. Um, coffee shops, same thing. People aren't really lingering, aren't really trying to make new friends. So um, I'm not sure how long it's going to take to come around. And some places may be doing that uh, more quickly than others, but that's also an innovation that is very, very simple to enact. And what else? Like what other ideas for a college? Because that's yeah. something any college can do. You know? Totally. Yeah. I think that um, another the cool thing we did was just something very simple called walk and talk, which was a way for, it was specifically designed actually for international students who were wanting to work on their English language skills and to become more familiar with um, U.S. culture, but felt self-conscious doing that, you know, just at large. And so the American Language Institute at USC partnered with me to create an experience of walking around campus. And we would, you know, go to different places on campus and we would pause and we had questions that we would ask each other to get to know each other and to get to know more of what our prior experiences were. You know, what was college like where you were coming from? Did you have anyone in your family who went to college before? What's your frame of reference? What do you notice about the spaces we're moving for, through? Are these things that are conducive to hanging out with others or are these encouraging us to just keep on our merry way? And so walk and talk. I mean, that's something that orientation could do. That's something that really any student group could do. And it gives people something less intimidating. You're just going on a walk to get to know the campus. Right. It's not so like one-on-one, -on -one, get to know me. That's very intimidating for a lot of people. Right. So it's like building in little structures to help combat an introvert or someone who feels lonely. And how do you think for yourself, like talk to me about your own journey. Do you feel lonely still sometimes, or has this transformed your own life completely? And yeah, well, I mean, it, 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 I'd say the coffee shop experience is what really transformed my life and helped me realize not only am I capable of connecting, you know, I started to question that, um, but I'm also capable of helping other people feel connected. And that was extremely empowering. And that's actually the best strategy for helping lonely people is to help them reframe it from being about who could reject me to who do I have the power to include? And once you alert them that 85% of their peers are afraid to make a new friend, but they could do something about that, all of a sudden that social anxiety abates and they find some, you know, initiative. 
So the coffee shop really um, taught me that I had that power. But, you know, the thing that I've really realized with loneliness is you see all of these op-ed and the op-eds in the New York Times and pieces in the Atlantic talking about ending the loneliness epidemic and declaring wars on loneliness and eradicating it. And the truth is that is not possible. Loneliness is part of the human condition. So if we're trying to like stamp something out, it's not going to work. And it's also not healthy. Loneliness is a signal like hunger that we're not getting our social needs met. So we should be meeting that with compassion and befriending our own experience of loneliness and learning how to befriend ourselves in the midst of it. And the goal is not to get rid of it in our own life or in anyone else's. The goal is to become aware of why it's present and to become comfortable with the, the tools and the, the, the behaviors that we have available to us to do something about it to get the sandwich. You know, when you're hungry, you need tools and know how to get a sandwich. You need tools and know how to, to know how to um, make a new friend or start doing some community service so you can um, be serving, you know, and meeting people that way. And so, yes, I still experience loneliness. I'm a single mom. I'm the loneliest subgroup of lonely people. I went through COVID and watched my entire coffee shop culture be destroyed. That must and have then been hard. It was God awful. It was so bad. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there was just a piece in, I think, the uh, LA Times about 500,000 people leaving the state in the last couple of years. So four of my anchor friends have all relocated to different parts of the world. So my nest of relationship was blown to crap. So I've had to, I've had to really practice a lot of what I preach because these things will happen throughout our lives. We take a job somewhere else. Now we have to rebuild. Someone dies. Now we have to rebuild. So the goal is not to get rid of loneliness. It's to become comfortable in how to befriend it and how to get our social needs met. Do you have a website we can direct people to? If they, for example, someone who's listening, who runs a university or a college somewhere, because I think I agree with you. I think colleges could do so much better. And they're perfect environments for that. Yeah, I think. And I think when you can start thinking like pilot project versus program, right, that's where they start getting. And that's all institutions generally know how to do is create programs. They need to start thinking much smaller um, and student led. But yes, my website is just cat-more.com. And I would be super happy to, to hear from any of the listeners um, if they've got ideas, if they've got questions, if they have speaking opportunities where I could be of, of service. Um, all of that would be wonderful. I think what Kat's doing is so important because like she said, you know, why do we have to wait until the crisis? What about that middle piece of the puzzle? Uh, so much mental health is in that lack of community and that isolation and people who are depressed do have trouble connecting because they're too depressed to you know reach out but if you're on a college campus somebody should notice that you know there's so much depression amongst students and there's they're under a lot of pressure um, and for all kinds of reasons they're away from home so Go look on cat-more.com. And I, I think you didn't tell, maybe I'm wrong, but did you tell me what SPARK stands for? 
Oh, well, you know what? Spark is not actually an acronym. Oh, it's, it's not? Just, it's just, no, it's not. Sorry to disappoint you. But um, no, it, but that's a, yeah, that's a um, innovation tank or design tank for students to create their own projects in friendship and belonging. Right. Well, it's a good name and it's a great program. And um, I, I, w- I wish I had had, uh, when I was in college, the, the college I went to, and a lot of colleges do this, they have these little communities um, little mini colleges within the college and they try to do pro, you know, activities within and people have roommates, but if you're prone to loneliness or if you're shy, those don't always, those aren't always enough. It's no, it's, it's the same thing as really, if you think about American corporate culture, yeah. um, the people who like make it are like alphas. They're, they, mm-hmm. they're extroverts, they're alphas, like they, um, and that's how you get ahead. And so that's how like all the programming ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Like do icebreakers, go on field trips. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, none mm-hmm. of you are introverts. <laughs> none, exactly. you know, none of you are have social anxiety. No, none of you have trauma. None of you have autism. None of, like there's no real like understanding of the different standpoints and perspectives and, and aptitudes that people are coming from relationally. There's a lot of other work being done with DEI that needs to be done um, but there's just not a lot of understanding about how to build things that provide um, equitable gateways for different kinds of relationship making. What is DEI? DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Oh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's really important because we have discovered a lot about people, you know, with the autism and, you know, we have a better understanding again, like you say, of introversion. And, you know, look, if you're listening and you're young and you feel lonely, it is hard to reach out. So I think that the person we should be speaking to right now is the is the non-lonely person, the extrovert, that super connector um, who goes out and make an effort to see that kid sitting alone because you're going to make that difference. Look at this guy you knew at college. You still remember what he did for you. In fact, it may have triggered what you started doing in the coffee shop. Thinking oh, about the whole that. thing is yeah. connected. Yeah. I mean, and, and so you just never know. You can be the bend in someone's road. That's right. You know? So yeah, reach out to that lonely person or the awkward person. I think if, 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 if you have a campus, say there's 10,000 kids on a campus, if 100 of them were willing to do that, they should give it, at least give college credit for it. And, you know, go out totally. there and yeah, find that lonely kid. Or make and, it a work study position. Yeah, exactly. Make it make it a um, yeah. colleges love creating these, yeah. you know, honor yeah. societies and yeah. these f- like fellowship things. Yeah. There should be a cohort yeah. that's uh, this like elite, you know, give it the value it deserves. It is a precious skill set and incredibly yeah. valuable. Create a leadership cohort of people who that's their job. I, you know? I could not agree with you more because again, mental health is such a crisis on campuses and they're always trying to find ways to fix it. They don't have enough therapists. And that comes back to at the very beginning of this call, Kat and I were talking about the mental health crisis and the brain drain. Why do you think there is a brain drain from the profession? Well, I have a lot of friends who are therapists and my understanding is that um, a lot of their own mental health has suffered really critically during COVID. Um, If you think about the frontline workers, they're they're frontline workers, you know, even though they, they are not with a needle in a hospital, they had to absorb so much uh, during COVID, while their own families and f- friendships uh, were under the same strain as the rest of us. So I think the demands of the profession 
were really crushing for a lot of them. And a lot of them have gone uh, exclusively online, which when we're talking, we're talking about youth mental health here. Once you get to high school, that gets a little bit easier to do a telehealth appointment. Um, but I'll tell you, my son had just turned 13. And you think he wants to talk to a therapist through a computer? He won't even, he doesn't even want to talk to his own friends on FaceTime. So I, th- th- there's become a real big problem with elementary school and middle school age students being able, because if most of the therapists that are left are doing telehealth, that's not kinetic. That, that's not um, enough for a, a lot of the younger kids. So that's part of the problem as well. Yeah, it's it's really a problem. And, you know, I, I that's why I wanted to talk to Kat, because I think what you're doing is so invaluable and it's so unique and it's so essential. Community is breaking down societally so profoundly. And I believe that's a big factor um, with mental health crisis. I had a therapist I interviewed for my podcast and he said that his number one argument for why we have a mental health crisis was this breakdown in community. So thank you so much for what you're doing. And I hope it catches fire and sparks, you know, (laughs) uh, other people to follow what you're doing and get your programs. And it doesn't seem that hard to me at a college to, like you say, just these little tiny changes. Um, But again, go to Kat's website and reach out to her. And I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I just want to encourage anyone who's listening. If you or someone you love is experiencing loneliness, the the number one thing is just to know there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, it would be shocking if you weren't experiencing some form of loneliness. And there's absolutely hope. Absolutely. Thank you, Kat. <laughs>